Sword Fights and Saturday Night Live Welcome to Marvel vs. Marvel It's a podcast where a comedian Who has never read a Marvel comic book before In his life Watches a Marvel movie or a Marvel TV show And then quizzes another comedian This one who is a Marvel expert This one was taught to read With Marvel Comics Hello and welcome to the Wolverine edition Of Marvel vs. Marvel I'm one of your hosts Rob Holden I'm a comedian, I'm a writer And for the purposes of this show I am the Marvel expert Joining me as ever on not just the Marvel journey, but his Marvel journey. Mm. He's a very ignorant boy. It's Mr. Will Preston. Hello, I'm only in this to see Hugh Jackman with his top off. <laughs> Aren't we all? Although that being, I mean, I, I, I you know, I don't want to cast the ball over the whole proceedings. I don't think he's like, I don't, I don't look at him and go, wow, he's mega handsome, mega attractive. I, uh, but I don't know why. I, I, um, I, I think he's handsome and attractive in a manageable way, not a too handsome, too attractive. <laughs> he's just like the right amount of handsome. I can get through the movie without just drooling all over myself. There's a manageable level of attractiveness. There's a, That's what I want from my hunks. There's an actor who's in the recent Suicide Squad film and he's in a few other things and I, I say I, I complain when he's on telly as he's distra- distractingly handsome. Who's he playing in the Suicide Squad? I can't... Oh, Captain Flag or something or... Uh, he, oh, Rick, Rick Flag. Rick Flag. I think he's Rick Flag. Oh, um, I don't remember what he looks like. But there we go. Yeah. We're more on me and Will being attracted to men, despite <laughs> our lifestyle choices, uh, later on. Um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to this episode a lot. A lot. Because yeah. this is uh, this movie takes inspiration from the greatest Wolverine story ever told, the most influential, the best Wolverine um, comic series, um, a... A pairing up of Chris Claremont and Frank Miller, two of the most seminal forces in Marvel. This has really got it all. There's a lot to get into, um, and I'm I'm really jazzed for it. Coming up, we're going to go behind the scenes on Hugh Jackman, Guillermo del Toro, and the Wolverine movie. We're going to go behind Ooh. the page on arguably the greatest and most important and influential Wolverine comic of all time. We'll explore the history of the clan Yoshida, Wolverine's twisted wife, his tragic love story, and just exactly how powerful that healing factor is. It is all to come, plus Saturday Night Live, <laughs> on this edition of Marvel vs. Marvel. That's going to blow your mind, Will. No, no, no. It's going to genuinely blow your mind. Because as, 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 as um, hordes of listeners know... Uh, I, I tend to be quiet bef- until you introduce me but as soon as you said Saturday Night Live I wanted to yell at you going what the hell you've got to reveal this to me before the show <laughs> no 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 there's so much to come oh. you don't want to go anywhere <laughs> yes. um, we've been having an incredible uh, an incredible run recently on some of the most exciting and fun episodes we had the first ever appearance of Thor on yes. screen in a movie as the Incredible Hulk returned in 1988 and then, of course, the uh, the Fantastic Four cartoon series, the '90s animated Fantastic Four, lighting up them Saturday mornings um, and bringing us kind of the birth of the the Marvel universe. A couple of big firsts recently. Um, some of our best shows, well, I think. Hmm. Oh, they. I mean, I I don't want to uh, blow the trumpets. I just <laughs> think we. I just think we get better and better. But that's just me. 
I don't think we've ever had really had a slump. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I can find some episodes oh. where we're really pulling it out of our ass. No, no, no. The only, only, only times I feel that is when we come to the end of it and go, "Oh, that was too long." <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes, sometimes in the in the old yeah. in the old scheduling days, we'd be recording late at night, and oh. we'd um, we'd just get that last hour of the evening when you've already been working a full day. But recently, man, I think we've been firing on all cylinders, finding new and exciting kind of things that our listeners won't have heard of. I know. You may have never seen the Fantastic Four cartoon series, but guess what? It's a window through which we can examine the first ever Marvel comic, dig into the first... Uh, Marvel Adventure, the first Marvel supervillain, all of that good fun stuff. And who on earth would have, would have thought that <laughs> we'd be able to drag up the Incredible Hulk from 1988 and as Love and Thunder is in the cinemas, take a look at Thor's first appearance on screen. And today, uh, it's not a first really, but using the Wolverine from 2013 to look at just this incredible Wolverine story that um, meant an awful lot to me as a kid. I'm really excited Willie P's returned to us from the land of Edinburgh, the biggest uh, cultural festival in the world, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. He had himself a lovely time. Um, If we missed you at Edinburgh, Will, are there any other gigs that we can catch you at in the month of August going into September? Yeah, I got got a few booked. Uh, On the 31st of August, I'm at the West End Comedy Club at the Covent Garden Social Club in London. On the first, on Thursday, the first of September, I'm at Laugh Tracks at the Tram Depot in Cambridge. On the sixth of September, I'm going. Uh, I'm doing a mirth control gig in Trunch, which I don't believe exists. Trunch does not exist. <laughs> Hello, I'm from Trunch. No, I, I think mirth control have started fabricating their own towns as well as their own gigs. Uh, Angel, I'm doing Angel Raw on Wednesday, the seventh, at the Camden Head in. Islington, and I'm doing the Rugged Jester at the Winchmore Pub uh, in North London. So uh, catch me there. Catch him there, indeed. Um, we're, I mean, technically, we're not here right now in August. Me and Will taking the month of August um, off. Even as you listen to this, <laughs> it's not a live record. Very few live podcasts out there. Um, but we've done this in 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 July, and we are. We are um, taking a little nice little break. You've um, got the Edinburgh Fringe. You will have just come back from when this goes out. But you've also got a holiday as well. Where are you going on your holes, Will? On my holidays, I've, I'm going. I'm doing actually doing quite an interesting thing in October. Aren't you taking a break in August as well? Oh, uh, not really. Well, from the show, yeah. I swear I thought you were going to, I said, I'm going to hold it. I thought you were doing Edinburgh, and when you came back, you had a little break as well. No, right. I'm, I'm getting right back on it. Uh, 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 you know, yeah. Sorry, should oh I my God, Okay, I don't know why there was so many weird pauses then. I don't know why you couldn't have just gone, no, I'm not. Why would you think that? <laughs> you really had to sit and think about it. Um, it's just me going on holiday then. I'm, I'm confident. When we put the schedule together, you were like, oh, yeah, I'm back then, but also I'm away for this period of time. Um, don't check your calendar now. You'll know if you're going on holiday or not. Um <laughs> Uh, I'm off uh, to uh, Devon with the family for a uh, a lovely little break, which will be wonderful. Um, and uh, fingers crossed, no heat wave. Fingers crossed, no heat wave. Uh, oh. Get my little niece and to play with her and a huge amount, and we all get to be back under one roof post-pandemic holidays and nice. things like that. Very much looking forward to uh, a nice bit of time off. But we're not leaving you 
with any kind of deficit in the content area, folks. Because <laughs> August is when me and Will roll out something we've been working on for a little while now, um, which is Marvel vs. Marvel Revisited, where we head back into the archives and we uh, we handpick a uh, a little uh, choice selection, a charcuterie, if you will, mm. a smorgasbord of of clips of segments from uh, fantastic kind of behind the scenes and behind the page segments from archival episodes, producing those, bring them out to the world. Now, look, really, realistically speaking, we're doing this because we think it's going to help a lot of people who might be intimidated by a three-hour show. Yeah. Give us a go for the first time and go. Let's see what this is all about then. I've got 15 minutes. I've got 20 minutes. I, I, for whatever reason, my brain is broken and I cannot give, I cannot hit pause during a three hour show so I can never <laughs> listen to them. The people that run away from a real podcast, not like you wonderful people out there, primarily it's to try and uh, ensnare some new listeners, corrupt their minds and get them on the three-hour bandwagon. Yes. Um, but we think you guys, uh, existing listeners, are going to really enjoy this as well. Um, they're going to be dropping in the kind of off weeks, so the week when there's not a regular episode, there'll be some Marvel versus Marvel revisited content um, coming out. We're going to be doing that for the rest of the year. Um, it's been a large project project between me and will getting it all edited and and back together and gritting our teeth at some of the uh the old dodgy sound quality on the old episodes Ooh. before we knew what we were doing um but that's going to be a lot of fun we're starting in august um you will have already had come out uh and you'll already have listened to the uh the birth of venom going all the way back to spider-man 3 episode and our venom episode to put that full origin story behind the scenes behind the page kind of together um very exciting very fun and it's just going to keep rolling on so you, you guys are going to get a new quote-unquote episode of marvel versus marvel every single week when it is not a uh, one of our patented deep dives it is going to be a mvm revisited and if there's any specific ones you fancy listening to and you you like the most get in touch let us know because some of these episodes we know you guys you won't have heard for many many years so um, a perfect time for us to roll those out uh, at the end of 2022 that's been a uh, it's been an intensive project hasn't it will but it's been fun it's it's been intensive but hopefully rewarding yeah, fingers crossed. Um, we uh, we want new listeners, and it's a perfect. If you ever want to, if you ever recommending the show to people as well, like sometimes you'll go, oh, you should really check this out, and then people go, how long is it? You can slip them a, a, a revisit episode. You can go, no, check this out. You like Star Lord? Here's fifteen minutes all about him. Exactly. And that's going to be a fun thing that we can do for people. In fact, you know, you should, you all should be out there recommending to ten friends every single day. Ten different every single friends. day. Don't don't cheat. Ten different friends, not ten the same friends, friends again. We're watching. We have our you, spies. So once you've recommended to ten friends, you have to then go and make ten new friends. It's a long commitment. This show. <laughs> the, the, the promotional work is all on your shoulders, people. <laughs> Speaking of commitment and promotional work, hey, why don't you head over to offworldtees.com <laughs> Um, our sponsors are amazing sponsors the guys that powered us through mm. a, a two-month sales event the guys we trusted to produce our official merchandise and get that all out to you the mvm t-shirts we were able to knock out in 
June and July this year, uh, offworldtees.com with a gang behind that and the gang that sponsored this podcast each and every week. Um, they're the home of retro movie t-shirts, of sci-fi t-shirts, your favorite horror t-shirts, more like badass action movie shirts as well yeah. as um, comedy shirts. Like right now they've got Cornetto Trilogy Designs out. Mm. As they're kind of their newest drop, Shaun the Dead, Hot Fuzz, The World's End, all out there as well. I've written a blog about the Cornetto, the Cornetto trilogy, a bunch of uh, trivia, behind the scenes stuff about those movies. Um, that's up on their website. Go and check that out at offworldtees.com. And they do loads of, like, the thing that always strikes, that strikes me is that I've seen an awful lot of other websites and other t shirt places do the action movie shirt. Do the sci-fi shirt. But for me and Will, it's kind of cool to see all the comedy t-shirts that are there as well. Like your Hot Fuzz, like your Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, um, I, I spotted one that, that, that took my eye because I was like, oh, that's quite niche. I like niche is what I like. <laughs> you know he me, does. I, he loves niche. I, I love a bit of the old niche. And I saw Penrith Tea Room, 1987. Uh, Penrith the fi- Tea Room? The, the finest wines available to humanity. If that, oh. if that quote doesn't get you, it's the very, very good comedy film from 1987 with Noel Nye. Brilliant film. Uh, I, That's I, a deep I, cut. Like, I've seen that film loads of times. I've read the script a bunch of times oh. as well. If you ever get the chance, the script is incredibly well uh, written. There's, there's weirdly a lot of, a lot of prose in it um, because I, 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 it's just, it's a very, it's a good experience. But yeah, I, I, even I, having done that, did not get that tea room reference. I love a deep cut. I love something you have to kind of go, oh yeah. Um, they've got um, not just the uh, speaking Monty Python and Life of Brian. Mm-hmm. They've not. They've got not just the the Judean <laughs> People's Front T-shirt. They also have a second T-shirt, which is the People's Front of Judea. Um, <laughs> so they've got you covered on all bases. Um, they've got uh, T-shirts from uh, Still Game, one of my all-time favorite sitcoms oh, of all time. Game. Um, they've got the Klansman, yeah. and they've got <laughs> two pints prick. Um, <laughs> I went through the, all of uh, Still Game. It was on Netflix. It's tremendous. I, I went through the whole lot. I loved it. Absolutely love that, that particularly unique Scottish humour. Um, yeah. It's amazing. Um, Lord Flashheart's Flying School. Yep. You've got to get on that. You've got to get on that. I'll tell you um, something. Um, my best man and his, his best man speech quoted Flash, Lord Flashheart. Of course. He, of course he, he, he did. To, you got to. <laughs> and any time you're going to get into a fight or get ready to go work out, you know you've got a rep. Fight milk. <laughs> <laughs> you got yes. a t-shirt that help you fight like a crow. <laughs> oh, God. I'm, I'm here for the It's Always Sunny references. I'm here all day. Sunny. And I was thinking, it's like, because growing up, not a sports guy, not, a, not a, like a sports, not a football team, not a rugby team guy. Like, I... Didn't have a shirt to rep what I'm really in, and now I'm I'm I've always been into comedy. I can I can rep the comedy. I can support my team. My team is still game. My team is Black Adder. My <laughs> team is always sunny. And now I can I can represent. I can rep that. I can feel like I'm on the team. I'm part of the gang. I can show the rest of the world. This is where my heart lies. It lies <laughs> with the people's front of Judea. Um, that's. I just think that's a really, really cool thing to be able to do. Something that wasn't really available to me and Will growing up. And, yeah, um, this, these kind of t-shirts just weren't there for us, were they? No, no, no. If you didn't support a football team or a rugby yeah. team, you were just 
shut out in the cold, man. Unless you shut went, out in the absolute cold. Unless you went to like an independent music shop and you got some overpriced. Band, yeah, there were some band t-shirts. Band t-shirts yeah, that's very there. true. That's yeah. very true. You get an Iron Maiden um, but t-shirt. Not for co- like getting a comedy t-shirt is so cool. Yeah. It's so it's such a really awesome thing that's available now. Great shirts um, from Off World Tees. They're made for geeks because they're made by geeks. I know the lads. Trust me, they are definitely geeks. Great shirts are great service. Um, not just a UK shout out. Um, you can get access to uh, offworldtees.com everywhere in the world. And one of the big reasons we use them for our merch, because our audience is everywhere, is that these guys have got production hubs access production hubs all over the world right i'm talking australia canada the czech republic germany the united kingdom and of course the united states so it's going to be closer to you than if it was just a uk company closer to you than if it was just a us company right wherever you are they're going to be able to ship them out from that production hub rather than oh it's going to come from the uk to america it's going to have to cross an ocean you're gonna have to wait for it you're gonna have to pay extra like tax and stuff none of that you can get it from a place that is close to you, offworldtees.com. Sign up to the newsletter today and get 10% off your first order. We love these guys at offworldtees.com. The dichotomy of this show, the yin and the yang, is of course that I have read many a Marvel comic in my life, making myself a Marvel expert. And my compadre, my companion... The little John to my Robin Hood has, of course, read zero Marvel comics in his life. And so we get a different perspective. I come at things with a lot of inherent kind of um, inherent built up kind of knowledge and experience in a particular viewpoint. Will comes with a completely different viewpoint to all these movies and TV shows. Um, and we like to dig into his brain, his oh, muggly mind. What a brain um, to dig into. Did you did you remember 2013? Do you remember this movie coming out? And did you have any thoughts on it? Nope. Next question. No, no, just kidding. Will, uh, for God's sake, <laughs> you've got to have another... Like, you can't just keep doing the same goddamn joke in this section every episode. Or I am going to shut the whole show down and, and start a new life somewhere. If you can't think of another joke, I'm turning this car around and there'll be no Cape Canaveral for anyone. I'm, I'm going to just start again in Mexico. I just can't <laughs> handle it anymore. I'm sorry. It's like I was water toying torture. With it. As, you were say, as you were saying, I was like, should I say it as a joke? I don't want to do the show anymore. I don't want to do the show anymore. I'm going away okay. forever. Okay. My sincere... Have ob- you uh, had any thoughts about this goddamn movie when it came out? You've got such Your a very fun... Arse. Lots of fun podcast stuff happening in this episode, guys. You've got lots to look forward to. Anyway, yes, I uh, I remember this coming out. Never saw it. I think my first response, I saw the trailer in the cinema and I was like, what, another one? Because I thought this it, was yet, and I thought this was a reboot of X Men Origins or like another. It did. I, I remember thinking exactly like it felt like somehow it felt like an origin. They were telling me an origin story. Yeah, I think perhaps because there weren't other X Men in the in the trailer. I don't know, but I I, I remember feeling the same. A kind of a, an X Men fatigue had set in. Yes, I, th- I think by that point, what did we have? We had thir- first class that came out, and I I did see that before I saw the trailer for this, and I remember enjoying that. But at the same time, it felt like too little, too late, and I've had enough. I, I don't know if it, even know if it's an X Men fatigue. I think it was a Wolverine fatigue, mate. 
I've, really? I think by that point, I was like, I've seen all that Wolverine does, and my major complaint is they hold back on the violence. And I remember talking to loads of mates around the time that, that, that saying, How, I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't got get. That, we, I've heard an awful lot of that. How is that? I don't understand. We 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 want him to see. We want to see brutal Wolverine stuff. You know, the slashing. We Based never... on what? Be- because we were he's younger a, and we crave violence. He doesn't do that. We, like, we... Not, it's not a thing. Like I can understand it of Judge Dredd that happens in the comics. Yeah, yeah. Like, but we were younger. Wolverine's not in gory comics. We are. We were younger and we craved violence in films. You don't understand when you're young and you see someone with claws that come out their hands. You go, "Oh, I'd like to see some top-notch gore." And you didn't really see that. It was all implied violence and whatnot. But looking back, that was a stupid, uh, stupid way of looking at it. But I, but I, we eventually got. But it's not bit... uncommon. I've heard it again and again and again. I was people one of those like, people. I'm Wolverine sorry. Wolverine won't be good until the screen is full of blood. No, no, it's not a case of it. Won't <laughs> you're be thinking good. of Freddy Krueger. That's it's... who you're thinking of. No, no, it's more of a case of like, oh, I've seen this lo- oh, again and again and again. Why don't they make it ultra violent for once? That would be a good twist or something. Yeah, I someone was talking about this in the in some of the chat we were talking about, and I just have to keep saying because they'd flush hundreds of millions of dollars <laughs> down the toilet. <laughs> what are you to to appease a few thousand middle aged people on Twitter? To be fair, um, Deadpool made a lot, but that wasn't really down to just being violent. Uh, yeah, but you can take that risk with an unknown character yep. that does not have a following of children, following. and you're you're making it for with change that Fox found behind the back of the fridge, right? When you're talking about a movie that is going to cost multiple millions of yeah. hundreds of millions of dollars to serve an audience that has a big fan base that are children and kids and want to buy toys <laughs> and merch and all of that, it said no, sorry. Just to let you know, we're shutting the doors on the majority of the people that want to see this movie and banning them from seeing it. Sorry, um, yeah, you can't really. Uh, it's it, 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 it was an odd frame of mind to be in with that sort of thing. But I can I, I sort just, of understand it. I, I think when I saw the scenes where he's in a Japanese uh, prison of war camp in the trailer, and it looked darker, it looked darker, mm. it looked grittier because by that point we're all. We, we we want the next uh, Dark Knight trilogy, don't we, at this point in time? Okay, some people have got, like, fatigue, and a lot of people like me are like, yeah, I want more dark superhero films! And then uh, Man of Steel comes along, and you just go, ah, actually, no. <laughs> I'm fine, thanks. I think I'd... I think for... for it was X-Men fatigue for me. Yeah. Um, right. Last Stand was such a big blow. Um... Origins Wolverine was another big blow. <laughs> they were, you know, both I... very ropey at the cinema, and I mm. did not enjoy First Class. So I did not have this. A lot of people <laughs> seemed to enjoy First Class I enough did. that they could go, ah, that has saved the franchise. For me, <laughs> it just hadn't. Do you know? I and, was looking. And so back... another another war. I just did not want this. I was, I was going back, uh, looking at the episodes when I, when I was when I was getting together the smaller episodes that we're going to put in, and the bit you talk about in X Men First Class about it. There's a, there's a phrase that I had to bleep out in there, 
And listening back to it, I was howling. It just made me realise that we look at that film very differently. Yeah, it's just a it's a, it's a largely pointless movie. Yeah, it, yeah. And it should have been a reboot, a full reset and reboot. Uh, yeah, and I could true. have been on board with that because um, they kill half the characters anyway in Last Stand. <laughs> if you want to hear more about that, go back and listen to our X Men First Class episode. I think it's a really good episode. But then again, all these episodes are my children. Let's take a trip behind the scenes now with Mr. Will Preston. Will, what can you tell us about the making of the Wolverine? Hey, I want to talk about the making of the Wolverine as there's lots of juicy stuff to get in here. But first. I'm going to have to make sense of the dollars and cents, as there's a lot of dollars and a lot of cents to talk about. Right, I'm going to start off with the uh, first uh, X-Men film. Released in 2000, the budget was $75 million and raked in a box office of $296.3 million. A success, a massive success. Then you had X-Men 2 in 2003. Budget higher, 110 to $125 million. And box office... 407.7 407.7 million. Obviously a lot more faith um, after the success of the first X-Men movie, so Abs- they can whack that budget up. Absolutely. And the next one, your favourite, X-Men Last Stand, 2006. That budget got whacked up to a $210 million price tag. But what did it get back? It got back a bo- good boxes of uh, $460.4 million. Maybe not as big as a return on X-Men 2, but still pretty good. And then you had X-Men Origins Wolverine in 2009. Budget, slightly less, $150 million. Box office, $373.1 million. The box office return on as, X-Men is going down. As we, now, as we said at the time when we did our X-Men Origins movie, it is not you can't look at it like a sequel to Last Stand or X-Men. Yeah. It is a separate movie. Its budget should be less. Yep. There's a, less. There aren't any major stars in it other than, like, Wolvie, you know? Yep. So, and and only taking, I think three seven three off one fifty is a very decent return. Yes, yeah, it's it's a, it's, a, it's a good return. Then you have X Men First Class two thousand eleven budget one hundred and forty to one hundred and sixty million dollars box office three hundred and fifty three point six million. Hey, that's a problem. It's, it's, <laughs> hey, that's it's, the problem. That's the problem. It's coming. It's still going down. It's still going yeah, down. Yeah, if you look at that as a as a. Um, as a, a sequel to Last Stand, which it is, mm. you know, it's uh, it's not it's not far off. It's yeah, it's not far off a hundred million dollars less. Yeah. Now you're spending you're spending um, a bit less as well um, by what forty fifty million dollars, but oosh. Yeah, that's an absolute oosh. But surprisingly, the Wolverine, two thousand and thirteen. Budget, 100 to $132 million. And the box office, $414.8 million. Oh, my God. Mm. I did not know about this film's success. This film swept past me and barely got mentioned. And this is one of the most financially successful X-Men films. It made more money. Obviously, you can't compare 2013 to 2003 money, but it made more money than X-Men 2. Now... I don't want to annoy a huge swath of people here, but what we saw with the uh, MCU movies mm. is that there was this carryover, bleed-over effect after 
the Avengers came out and made a billion dollars. Ah. Where everything just went up. That people's appetite for superheroes just increased. I wonder whether I'm not saying it is, but I wonder whether there's some carryover here for, for, from from that. You know, 2012, 2013. It would make a lot of sense. It would make because sure, the Wolverine isn't part of the MCU, but it's part of Marvel. It's a superhero film. I think he, the Avengers. He's the had most. The, yeah, he's the most popular X Men. It had what we call in video games a splash effect. It affected everything around it, and caused it caused. Hey, it's a term. Sounds perfect, like you're at the urinal. <laughs> perfectly cromulent term, Rob. Perfectly cromulent. But yeah, even DC films got a, got a bit of an increase as well. I imagine if we ever covered that, I imagine any DC film around this area would have gone up. I, I love, I love, I love how you do that. Well, you have no evidence for this. I have absolutely. <laughs> hey, I have no go, evidence. He, he, but you start that with even the DC movies that came out after this would have got a but. I imagine. I, <laughs> I imagine, have no evidence of this. I, 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 in I my mind, they did. Well, I'm just really excited about talking about it. That sometimes I have more confidence. Than, than uh, facts. Than, uh, yeah, it's called being a, a straight white man. There we go. I was literally <laughs> just about to say that. Hey, going to dunk on myself. But yeah, very... I, I am bowled over by that. It's 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 insane. I, I wonder if um, <clears throat> we're missing anything with, with Hugh Jackman's career. Did he, did he perhaps do anything else, become kind of slightly more famous? Is there any other kind of big movie that he was in in between... Um, Origins and this one, I can't think. The only two um, recent roles I remember him, he was uh, Les, Mis- Les Miserable. That's way after this. That's way oh, in that case, the greatest showman will probably be way, way after, after yeah, this. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what else he was he was doing. But yeah, it's a shame we haven't got someone who handles production side of things, isn't it? They could have perhaps done a bit of research. Oh well, I hey, <laughs> I, I I just looked at that and went, oh, that's a nice number, and, and, and then you like, I want to see your working, Will Preston. Yeah, I want to see facts. Take us through the homework you have done. I'll, I'll take us through. Oh, God, this this feels like I'm giving a PowerPoint presentation where everyone in the room already hates me. <laughs> In September 2007, Gavin Hood, director of X-Men Origins Wolverine, speculated that there would be a sequel which would be set in Japan. During one of the post-credit scenes of the film, Logan is seen drinking at a bar in Japan. Hugh Jackman is a self-confessed fan of the Chris Claremont Frank Miller Wolverine comic, uh, 1982, especially the Japanese saga. There are so many out areas of that Japanese story. I love the idea of this kind of anarchic character. The outsider being in this world of honour and tradition and customs, Hugh Jackman said. Someone who's really be who someone who's really anti all of that and trying to negotiate his way. The idea of the samurai too and the tradition there, it's really great. In the comic books, he gets his ass kicked by a couple of samurai, not even mutants. Did we see, Mr. Hugh Jackman, the big fan of this comic book series, <laughs> did we see any of that that you just talked about in this movie? No. <laughs> no, we did not. I, f- I feel like... Fight's a big robot. I feel <laughs> what like, are you talking about? I feel like while I'm giving this PowerPoint presentation on the production notes, you've just walked up on stage and pulled my trousers down and st- just walked back to your seat. I'm not. I've got. I'm not. I'm not speaking to you at all. I'm trying to talk to Hugh Jackman. <laughs> I love this comic so much that I didn't put any of it in the movie I was doing. Just <laughs> other than Japan, something about Japan. Yeah, 
So there's some swords on the wall in the background, and people wearing <laughs> people wearing sort of traditional outfits. That's about it, really. Cool. Thanks, Hugh, for standing up for your favourite comic of all time. Yeah, loser. I don't know why I'm being offended on behalf of Hugh Jackman. That is the worst thing I've ever done. According to Hugh Jackman, Wolverine being surrounded by death while being unable to die due to his healing factor is a major theme in the movie. He realises everyone he loves dies and his whole life is full of pain, Hugh Jackman says. It's So it's better that he's just escapes. He can't die, really. He just wants to get away from everything. So he gets the major themes. He just doesn't get the, the details of what happened in the comics. It's not a major theme of the comic, that, at all. Oh, well, I it's, didn't read the comic. A- I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, well, that's Hugh Jackman saying this is the major theme of this movie, and he's right. That is that is kind of the ma- the major theme of this movie. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. This movie was uh, scheduled to be released in Japan in mid September, more than a month after its worldwide release. Uh, this was to avoid insensitive screenings during the early August anniversaries of the atomic attacks on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Whoo! Mm, yeah. Yeah. Bloody hell. According to director James Mangold, this movie had started out as a prequel to X-Men, the first film, but later he decided Ah. to make it a sequel to X-Men The Last Stand. James Mangold said, I wanted to tell the story without the burden of handling it off to a film that already exists and having to conform to it. The idea of immortality reigns very heavily in this story, and the burden of immortality weighs heavily on Logan. For me, that's such an interesting part of Logan's character that is nearly impossible to explore in a prequel. Did you um, feel feel that the, the 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 weight of immortality weighing heavily on this on this movie? No, I didn't feel that much to be honest. The weight of there, it there was I, there was a there bit was a of li- like, there was a little bit with with the gene stuff, but I, I, I don't know. No, nothing more than has been already done, if that makes sense. It, not as much as Highlander. Oh, Highlander! No. Yeah. You get it yeah. in Highlander. You go, being an immortal would absolutely suck. Yeah, it's absolutely absolutely done done so well in Highlander, but not here, not here. Rogue- but I see his point. If it was not, if it was a prequel, yeah, then you wouldn't feel the weight of missing characters because there would be characters you didn't know. Yeah. Whereas if you make it a sequel, you can go, oh, you know how we killed everybody in that last X Men movie. This is a guy who's missing these these well, this one person. Um, so I can see that making practical sense. Yeah, but I I think that kind of sense of missing one person has nothing no, doesn't feel very Wolverine-ish. It's a very more general emotion, and yeah, they they just didn't stick into the old immortality sucks theme, which is a shame. But Rogue was involved in one version of the Wolverine script. She was going to try and convince Logan to return home and she was going to end up joining him in the adventure. However, she was cut from the story due to director James Mangold wanting to focus on Logan's isolation. I got a sense... I, even though he is joined on his adventure by a few people, there is a sense of isolation here. Yeah, I agree. I agree, yeah. yeah. Also, uh, Guillermo del Toro expressed his interest in directing, being a fan of the Japanese saga in the Wolverine comics. He met with James Giannopoulos and Hugh Jackman about directing, but ultimately decided... He did not wish to spend two to three years of his life working on the movie. That's th- this is yet another time that a film comes out and it's like, oh, by the way, <laughs> Guillermo del Toro almost directed it. 
Yeah, I mean, he had such a... Because he'd done such an amazing thing with Hellboy mm. um, for a long time. I, I think especially before the MCU really was in high gear. Um, he was one of those names of, this guy has done it. He's He's successfully transitioned something from a comic book into a movie that made money that stayed on budget that that bounced and uh, that people really were enthusiastic for so yeah i think i can i can sort of see that um i can see people coming back to him again and again he's an incredibly amazing visual direct do you think we'd ever see him pop up in the mcu mm, i don't i don't think so no oh, shame. Uh, yeah. but I, I didn't think we'd see raimi do it so who knows I, I, you know, you know what? I know he's one of those directors who he's got to have full creative control and everything. But I would love to see Kevin Fig step back and go, "We're going to give you a bit of space on this one. Do what you need to," because I reckon he could pull out something incredible. Yeah, it's tricky though because we spend a lot of our time on this show going, "Oh my god, why don't Sony have someone in charge of how it's meant to go? Why don't Fox? Why don't DC have one person who's like got a team of people that and Marvel have got that and it comes with things on the other side which are yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely. But constricting. Not, not only that, another director who was originally set to direct, Darren Aronofsky. What, you're giving me a really confused face, Darren Aaron. I'm not. I'm waiting for you to finish talking. You're doing your bit. I, 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 I thought you would have reacted to that. Uh, 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 so I'm, I'm just, I, just, I just think he's very extreme. <laughs> I'm not reacting because you were talking. Sorry. And then you stopped and stared at me and Sh- said, why, why I- are you pulling a face? I'm not pulling a t- face. I'll- I'm waiting for you to talk. I'll- what I'll do is... Tell me the story I'll- of Darren Aronofsky. I'll do my circuit and I'll come back to you. And okay. See what you think. So Darren Aronofsky was originally originally set to direct and worked on the project for six months before departing. Oh my god! Darren Aronofsky! <laughs> Are you kidding me with this trivia? I am dying inside! I don't Oh my word! <laughs> Is that what you wanted? <laughs> You know what? <laughs> Deep inside, yes. Yes, it was what I wanted. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, just let me know. I've got that in the bank. Whenever you need it, I'll pull that one out. No worries. Just, 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 just act really, really surprised. And then some point, I go, nah, too much, mate. Too weird. So, so, uh, he, so he was really set to direct, worked on the project for six months before departing, citing the long overseas shoot would prevent him from seeing his family. He had just separated from Rachel Weiss, uh, the mother of his child. During his time attached to the movie, he rewrote the screenplay by Christopher McQuarrie, and it is speculated that the real reason for his departure was the studio's unwillingness to approve his draft, which aimed for a hard R rating due to heavy sexual content and brutal violence. That sounds like a Darren Aronofsky film to me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't know why he'd get involved in a superhero movie like this, thinking he could get a uh, a hard R rating for sexual content and brutal violence. I, I think he could get it now because thanks to the boys and some 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 other movies, there's a bit more. They like a look, 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 look. With Deadpool, you you you, you could take so sure. Wolverine's going to sell toys. What are you talking about? I'm not talking about Wolverine. I'm talking about him making a superhero film. Yeah, sure, but he came on board to a Wolverine movie. The guy from the cartoons. <laughs> What's wrong with you, Darren? <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> I want to. I want to know what was going through his head. But then again, I don't want to. Don't want to know uh, what's this going through his not, head. 
this is not the first time we've had Aronofsky attached to um, the beginnings of a of a, no. of a of a Marvel project. I can't think what the others were, but he's definitely his name's come up once or twice in the past. Um, if you can remember out there, let us know. Drop us a line, Marvel versus Marvel at gmail dot com. Please do. Wolverine's claws were redesigned for this movie. The older version was a straighter design, but the new claws have more cuts and angles to them, allowing them to reflect light easier. Also, the claws come out of the hand lower towards the palm, which makes more sense from a scientific perspective. The older claws came out a bit beyond the knuckles. The new claws appear like they came out just from in between the fingers, which means they could retract straight back into the forearm. I like stuff like this. <coughs> Details, please. Details, please. Details. It re- How many inches, half <laughs> inches below or above the knuckle did they retract from, please? It, the, the, We'll probably repeat this when we go back. If are we doing X Men Apocalypse? Do you think will we do that? We're doing every Marvel movie except for <laughs> X Men Three: Last Stand. Okay. Do you remember when they they, they shoved in Wolverine in at the last minute in X Men Apocalypse? Yeah. And they, in the trailer, you see the hand reaching out, and the claws did not look straight. They looked. Oh, I don't remember that. Oh, it was. It was on the internet a little bit, not too much. And, it, and I just think it's the opposite of what happened here. To prepare for the role, Hugh Jackman contacted Dwayne the Rock Johnson for advice on talking up for the right. movie. That's right, that's what he did. He, he went to The Rock. He went to The Rock. It was insanely buff. Johnson suggested Jackman could gain a pound a week over six months, 24 weeks, by eating 6,000 calories a day of, and he quotes... An awful lot of chicken, steak, and brown rice. This oh. stuff, this stuff, isn't the stuff that sounds impressive to me because I could do that bit. <laughs> I could put on a pound of of bulk a week, no problem. It's the next bit that yeah. is the impressive bit, the bit where you turn a bulk into actual nice stuff that looks good. <laughs> uh, I could, actually- I could eat chicken and steak every day and. Gain a lot of weight, no problems. Because you uh, you work with a lot of wrestlers, and there's a thing about dieting oh, and stuff. Got yeah, so um, there's a, there's, there'll, there'll be tons and tons. They all come with a meal prep, so they've all got yep. Tupperware, little Tupperware containers, and they've all got meal prep. There's a lot of broccoli and a lot of meat. Um, there was a but but every single one of them, every single one of them, there's an awful lot of McDonald's as well. Um, tons of McDonald's. It's it's so bizarre. You think, oh, healthy athletic people, they live in McDonald's. These guys. I mean, coming back from like gigs, gigs and shows and stuff. Yeah, there was a big trend um, going back maybe six, seven years ago of veganism in British wrestling, mm. um, driven by a bunch of guys who are in the WWE now, um, and kind of just spilling, dispelling a lot of myths of yeah, you don't, you can get protein in lots of different ways. Um, if you're if you're in kind of Western worlds and yeah. the the UK and stuff, there's loads of places where you can get enough protein and stuff to uh, maintain your your decent size and your cosmetic shape without without eating uh, meat. But yeah, and whether that's gone away or died down a bit now, I'm not sure. Well, one little thing I remember was Ricky Hatton, the boxer, apparently used to eat loads of kebabs. But I don't know if that was when he was off boxing or to, to get the stuff in. But hey, you know, if it yeah, works, yeah. But it there's works. a there's a very there's a very different the 
wrestlers have a there's like a cosmetic appearance yeah. aspect to the to the to the shape they have to be in whereas wrestlers in general always look better than boxers it's weird <laughs> because boxers don't need to have washboard abs and nope. uh, this that. there's there's kind of like um you know the the appearance of 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 weightlifting you know you've just got to make sure your muscles are in the right place so you cosmetically look amazing mm. because that's kind of part Sometimes that's part of the presentation of wrestling. Um, whereas a boxer's, it's all strategic. I need, I need muscle here, muscle there. Don't need it there. That makes absolute sense. Okay, so almost all of the promotional materials for this movie featured a shirtless Hugh Jackman. In contrast, he appears shirtless only in a few scenes in the final cut. Boo! 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 <laughs> it's done in order to... Emphasize. Release the shirtless cut! <laughs> yes! <laughs> Can't wait for them to buy a load of Twitter bots and abuse someone to get it done. Oh. This, I know, man, that was awful. Uh, this was done in order to emphasise the superior shape he got into for the movie. To be fair, that makes sense. If you're going to spend a lot of time and effort doing that, you want sure, to... Sure, yeah, yeah, 100%. And finally, an alternate ending was filmed where Yukio presents Logan with a box that contains his yellow Wolverine mask from the comics. Have you seen that? I did not. Have you? Yeah. Uh, and just to correct, it, it's not his yellow Wolverine mask. Oh. It is... We, if you search for it on YouTube and stuff, it will be called his yellow wolverine mask. It is not his yellow wolverine mask. Is it? it is the brown and tan mask and costume uh, from this era. The you might you, you could you could probably just get away with calling it yellow. It's it's a tan orange mm. with brown. Whereas when you say yellow, you think of the yellow and blue from the nineties cartoon yeah. and his costume in the nineties. But it's supposed to harken back to the costume he wears during the miniseries that allegedly inspired this movie <laughs> bears no resemblance to it <laughs> um which is the, the it's my favorite wolverine outfit the brown and tan it's a, an iconic look from the 80s um yeah so it's not quite the cartoon one but it was still a very cool moment um i wish they'd left it in but that would also mean that they were it would feel like they're committed to putting him in a costume and a mask in the next movie, and they absolutely were not going to do that. Let's go behind the page now on the miniseries that allegedly inspires this this movie, and it does take a lot of <laughs> superficial elements from. Um, it's a series that ran in uh, the very end of 1982 from September to December. It's just four issues long. It's a miniseries, um, and it's... It, it might be one of my favorite Marvel stories ever. I, I I adore this. I mean, I had the trade paperback collection. I bought it from a bookshop called Webley's in Hanley, Stoke-on-Trent, which was a great, old, wonderful bookshop. Um, we'd go to go to sort of uh, Hanley. Stoke was the nearest city to me, and we'd go, you know, every four, six to eight weeks, and I could be able to go to a comic book shop. And I remember taking it on holiday with me when I was in my in my sort of early teens, mm. and it was one of the few book things I'd taken with me. And so I read it and I reread it, and I've got an awful lot of this buried into my brain. But it is objectively, I've gone back and reread it recently. It's objectively very, very good. It is held up as a classic for a reason. 
It's written by Chris Claremont, who we've talked about a lot when we talk about the X-Men, the father of the X-Men, the guy that um, wrote the series for 16 years and created all the great X-Men stories that you care to think of, from the Phoenix Saga, Days of Future Past, um, all these seminal moments. And it's also... Um, the other half of it is created by um, Frank Miller, the guy behind things like Dark Knight Returns and um, and Watch uh, not Watchmen. What am I talking about? Sin City. <laughs> <clears throat> and they came up with this kind of the basic idea of this mini series while they were sharing a cab on the way back from the San Diego Comic Con in uh, in 1981. Um, so it's this incredible pairing of two of Marvel's hottest talents. Like one, the like Clement is in the middle of this incredible hot streak in a franchise that he essentially created, although he didn't, but he did. Um, and and Miller is um, has been doing genre redefining work on Daredevil. Go mm. back to our Daredevil episode. We praise this an awful lot. He's taking this slightly silly character of Daredevil and creating this crime noir story with him. Um, his artwork has probably never been... I don't think it's been better. Um, <clears throat> you know, I don't think the Sin City stuff is better than what he does on Daredevil and in this. It's incredible. Um, and they they are not trying to come up they don't have a mandate to do this they just, they're in it, they're in a taxi they get talking, they come up with this Clement wrote like an introduction um, for the for the miniseries um, oh we'll get to that no sorry we'll get to that later Clement has spoken in an interview about this and he said for the first Wolverine miniseries I was pitching it to Frank Miller and his blunt response was I don't want to do four issues of some muscle head cutting people open <laughs> to come out of that quote just a minute to say I don't I can't believe Frank Miller is saying that. He's built his entire career on tough guys acting tough. Yeah. Um, that's weird, but okay. Um, uh, Clement would say, I, I said, that's good. And he said, why? So we started talking about who Wolverine is as a person and how he got to where he is. Throughout the course of a four-hour traffic jam on I-5, we evolved the concept that we wanted to play with. It had nothing to do with hacking and stabbing or him being a superhero. It had everything to do with him being a man trying to reach for something beyond his grasp, mm. while also dealing with the prejudice of Mariko's father, who views him as nothing more than an animal, and Wolverine struggling to prove that he is more than that. There's an awful lot going on in this incredible four-issue miniseries. It's very pulp heavy. Mm. It is a pulp story through and through. Um, well, that's Frank Miller, isn't it? He does that kind of uh, pulp. Yes, but this is very, very early on in him doing it. Oh, okay. You know, Sin City has not been conceived of yet. Mm. He's doing great work on Daredevil. This this miniseries is is, is 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 pulp through and through. I mean, not. Very basically, Wolverine gets knocked out a bunch of times. That's very, uh, that's very uh, pulpy. That's very um, noir esque. Um, the central character in a pulp, in a noir, sorry, 
not in a pulp. The central character in a noir story is 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 usually caught up in corruption and and, and politics, like a machine bigger than the man himself. Mm. An awful lot of PIs. You can look at Chinatown. You can look at the Big Sleep. You yeah. can look at things like that. Um, it's a man manipulated and lied to, usually by women, by femme fatales, by people pulling his strings, and it's usually a morally grey man with a past striving to tr- to do a, a single honorable thing even though it really kind of hurts them in the end mm. that's generally how noir works but there's this wonderful like synergy of what's going on like at the time i don't know if it is true now but at the time american readers would any any readers would associate wolverine with the lone cowboy archetype right he he was drawn and to look a little bit like clint eastwood with the hair and the sideburns and he was written with his kind of narration to be a little bit like clint eastwood yeah. the strong the silent type the man with no name all of those kind of tropes and of course those iconic westerns that you take that you associate with clint eastwood were themselves heavily influenced by classic samurai films. Ah. Whether it's The Magnificent Seven from The Seven Samurai, Fistful of Dollars from Yojimbo. So there is this idea, this very smart idea, of getting Wolverine to embody both of those things, the, the samurai and the cowboy. It has these... The central themes... Um, play an awful lot towards um, a read, a reading of Japan at the time in the eighties, um, mm. and this is perhaps a Western reading of Japan. I'm not saying that this is entirely what Japan is or was at the time, but Japan was known for having a long military history. Um, by 1982, of course, there's a Second World War. By 82, the, the the history of colonialism and the history of their expansion and that conflict and the World War II and all that kind of stuff was weighing very heavily on on the on the public. Um, and their their national identity, their national culture, the samurai, the ninjutsu um, soldiers, there was kind of retracting that. There'd been like an a strong anti-militarism sentiment in the country um, mm. by the time we get to the nineteen eighties. Um, so there's always, but despite despite that, there's always this kind of association um, with warriors, with with ninjas, with samurai, with soldiers. That is a part of kind of Japan's cultural identity, um, and these are these are like these are archetypal figures that aren't just soldiers they're soldiers with a very strict kind of code of honor Mm. um and it's whether that code of honor that a soldier or warrior can have does it do enough to mask essentially the savagery of combat the savagery of killing of taking a life within some sort of civilized framework of honor and duty and Mm. and codes and all of that and oaths and that's really important to this story of whether Wolverine can inhabit these two things. A lot of the central themes kind of based around this this idea of animal versus man. Mm. Um, In whether 
He gives into his base desires, the things that have been driving him for an awful lot, an awful long period of time in the X Men comics, or whether he does, he, he tries to go in this other direction. He strives to be a man of honor, strives to operate by a code and not just kind of a self interest, self indulgent nature. Um, mm. And whether he can grow. Chris Claremont, throughout his 16 year history on the X Men, is a huge proponent of characters growing. That gets pushed back a lot by editors at Marvel because character growth isn't always seen as a positive thing by the people in charge because in their minds, well, that's great, Chris, but you're going to leave the comic one day and this franchise has got to keep going. Whereas Clement wants to evolve all these characters. And it was very easy for him to do at the beginning because no one cared about the X-Men. But now, thanks to him and Terry Austin and John Byrne, it's become a powerhouse franchise that that, that is the biggest selling comic at Marvel. Well, now things get a bit more... Yeah, but you can't change them that much. <laughs> yeah, but we like Wolverine doing this. We like Cyclops doing that. And this this series is all about change can wolverine change is a big part of that along with this thing of real honor versus the trappings of honor Mm. like as used by the aristocracy to appear to appear civilized um quite like a quite like a major part of this so in, in at some point in the in the in the in the miniseries, um the characters go and see a play, um a kabuki play called Forty Seven Ronin. Mm. Um and you could there's a lot of this clearly this this play has a uh, this story has a bit of an influence on the, the, the Wolverine miniseries itself. Um Wolverine in the in the comic says of the play and he draws that's why you, you know you pay attention to it because the character main character draws you to it and mm. talks about this play. He says it's a tale of honor, of loyalty, of the samurai determination to see a course through to its end regardless of the cost. It embodies all the qualities the Japanese revere most in their national character and heritage. It influenced um the first Game of Thrones book as well. Ah, really? It's 47 Ronin, like the start of it anyway, Mm. is the story of a humble and deeply honourable lord, rural lord, Mm. getting caught up in the corrupt politics of the emperor's court. Ah. Right? And when he gets in there, the the, the presence of a truly honourable man disrupts the court because all the aristocracy there are horribly corrupt and on the take and doing this, that, and the other uh, and really betraying all codes, but following perhaps the let following the letter of the of the law whilst behind everyone's back carrying on like anyone's business. And so this humble, honourable man is is manipulated and insulted and pushed by the corrupt aristocracy until he defends himself. But defending himself in the court is an act of aggression. Ah, okay. Deemed an act of treason, and he is killed. So wow. he is manipulated and pushed to strike back, and then they can throw their hands up and say, "Oh, look at him! An act of aggression in the Upper's court, an act of treason." And then that's the end for him. Um, it, it, it's again, it's this real honor versus the 
pretend honor that the aristocracy might claim that you might claim as being civilized mm. um and on the basis of that once he's died his his um his samurai his his followers and stuff the people he looks after 47 of them swear revenge to redeem his honor to go and they they take this long course which is gonna gonna result in terrible lives for them they will be committing treason they will be in prison they will be killed they'll have all their lands taken from their family will be but it's it's about that doesn't not that it doesn't matter but i have to see this through to the end because honor must be served i have to honor the fallen lords and I have to take this, take revenge on this. Um, and it's about seeing that course through. The person, the people that did this must pay. Yes, it's going to make my life horrifying, but I just have to do it. Which has a lot of similarities with a lot of um, noir stories. I think as well, this is... <sighs> Wolverine at this time is not the Wolverine you'd know or recognize to this day. He's a very cantankerous character. Mm. He has not been fleshed out much in the X-Men comics at all. Um, he's this guy with this berserker fury, just as likely to attack his friends as his teammates, and it, as he's his foes. And he's just this kind of wild card character. Mm. He's not particularly popular. He's not well thought of. He's not particularly well liked. He kind of is, you know. But there's this period of time where Wol- Wolverine is multiple times maybe going to get axed from the x-men comic um they think that chris clement thinks that nightcrawler should be the the big star of the x-men comic you Mm. know there's a lot of odd things going on around this period of time of him not really looking like like the, the 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 main star we know him to be um and this story gives him a huge amount of depth there's a tragedy to the to the to the story that he's given here there's something noble in wolverine's attempts to improve himself and to change despite his past and um the 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 the, the quest to be a better man to be a man at all to stop being a beast to choose between these two sort of paths that are in front of him this comic one of the best wolverine stories ever told it is responsible for absolutely transforming how readers thought and felt about wolverine this is responsible for moving him beyond the tropes of the movie musclehead anti-heroes that were so popular Mm. rambo death wish chuck norris which he was kind of cast in the tough guy this is the groundbreaking series that gave Wolverine a heart and a soul and absolutely changed the character forever. Let's take a look in the mailbag. Let's take a look in the mailbag. We should have more jingles. Look in the mailbag and see what we can see, see, see. I was going to join in, but I couldn't. (laughs) Oh, okay. You can always uh, write to us here at marvelvsmarvel at gmail.com. That's Marvel versus Marvel at gmail.com because I said it funny the first time. Or you can tweet us at Marvel versus. Um, Will, have you got any uh, thoughts on this movie or what have you got for us? Quite a few people wrote uh, about this film. We've got King Canuck 
who wrote in to say, I've only seen a few sequences of this movie in the form of YouTube clips. I wasn't a big watcher of the X-Men films as they were coming out in cinemas. Funny enough, I think it was the bland costumes on the posters that turned me away most of the time. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) I vaguely remember the trailer for this one and wondering why Wolverine, North American badass, was in Japan and losing his healing factor and something about nuclear bombs. Of course, in the time since I've learnt about his time in Japan from you guys and all the tragedy that befell him there, I think I'm going to find time to sit down and watch this before your episode comes out. Thank you, King Canuck. First of your name, Lord Protector of all maple syrup. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I can... Despite the fact this is a big hit at the box office, I'm not surprised it missed... It's you know kind of people missed it. I don't know why. It, I mean, it got, just, it got it got a good review on bad. Sorry, not I was going to say bad tomatoes, rotten tomatoes. Bad tomatoes. Bad tomatoes. I, 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 I had a good rating on there. It's just an absolute mystery why I've barely spoken to anyone about this film. We got uh, Eric Cotton. Who also said, "I believe I only watched this movie once, but I remember it being." Two out of three of it being really uh, a, a really good movie. Sorry, two-thirds being a really good movie. In retrospect... <laughs> sorry, it throws me off when people write it like that. In retrospect, it was a good stepping stone from Origins to Logan. I'm not completely convinced that an R rating would have made this a better movie, which is the lesson people seem to take from Logan, but it certainly wouldn't have hurt. Not to beat a dead horse, but I suspect... This would be considered one of the better X-Men movies if it had not if it had not been for the repeatedly mentioned Logan. Yeah, I mm. think um Eric's absolutely right there in that the lesson to learn from the Logan movie is not um our ratings and violence. That's not the lesson to learn at all. Yeah. But people don't want to hear that. We got Mark O'Neill who said, I quite enjoyed it. It was also a great example of Fox not giving a damn about the X-Men timeline because a fairly big plot point is Logan having his adamantium claws cut off by an old bloke. Then later, two different old blokes approach him in an airport in a scene that leads into Days of Future Past in which he has them again. Did just, he... just back. They're just back. They're just back. Did he get the procedure done again? Did Magneto put it in the back into his bones? Does it matter? Not really, but it just shows a lack of care on Fox's part. Like, if he's going to turn up in the next movie with them back, mm. then you can have a line of dialogue that we might explain it or some time has passed or whatever. But it's it's right after this. It's as he's leaving the country. Yeah. I don't get it. It could have just been like five years later, but nope. Uh, and finally, Holly Galpin uh, thought that the movie was pretty terrible. The Claremont Miller Wolverine miniseries is by far one of the best stories Marvel ever told with the character. They could have just put them, they just could have put that on a screen and it wouldn't have messed with much of the continuity as it stood. My problem with most of these Fox X-Men Wolverine movies is that they took insanely good stories that fans absolutely loved and made unnecessary changes to make them less good. Days of Future Past, Dark Phoenix, The Wolverine. Yes, it's better than the previous Wolverine outings, but only the way that Deep Fried Roadkill is better than a lukewarm turd in an ice cream cone. (laughs) (laughs) Logan is everything I wanted for the character, and I've seen it more times than any other 
X-Men movie put together. Old Man Logan on one last trip with Charlie X gave me all the feels. Thanks for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think there's a, the, I, I felt this when the Constantine movie came out. Oh God, yeah. The, there's the, the 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 problem with that you can do this whole thing of going, oh well, it's just a movie. It doesn't affect your enjoyment of the source material. Yeah, but it affects the chances of them doing the source material in a good way. Hmm. So. When you've already done the Phoenix Saga and crapped the bed on it, <laughs> you're not going to get a good version of the Phoenix Saga because it's already been out, it's already been done. We got two bites of the apple, and the, you know. Yeah, like when God. You, you take all these elements from a great story and you don't do them right and you do them wrong and you don't get it and you mess up. Like, the next per- person coming along making a movie, it's probably not going to... I think there's something very different in the way that the MCU has adapted things as well, is that they very... I can't think of a time when they adapt a story. They adapt elements. They adapt characters, right? Yeah. I can't... The MCU does not take a story and... And I think that's... And, and kind of put it on the screen or... I, I don't know. I'm probably talking in circles here. I just think they seem to handle things with a better grasp of what the things mean. Um... I think when you when you kind of if you I, I just I'd rather they didn't say I rather I had never heard that they thought that they were doing the <laughs> classic Wolverine comic mm. so that I get excited and watch it and go well this is crap what have you done anyway anyway that's the mailbag uh, Marvel versus Marvel at gmail dot com. But, of course, the best place to get in touch with us is over on Patreon. Don't just consume this content. You need to contribute, right? Everyone listening to this now, bar the chosen special few, isn't doing enough. You need to be part of this community. You need to be part of this family. You need to make sure this show can stay on the air. How often does your favorite website, does your favorite... YouTube channel, your favorite podcast, go dark. Go dark because people aren't supporting them. Free access content, folks, ain't sustainable. <laughs> it just really isn't. We pour, me and Will, everything we have into this podcast. We have a great time doing it. We hear from people that listen to us uh, all day at work on their own, these long shifts on their own. There's the only people that, there's, there's, it, that they've got to talk to and listen to, me and Will. We hear from people uh, who listen to this show on 15-hour car journeys, baby. We'll get you through that. Listen to us at the gym. You know, we'll get you through that dull workout. We'll get you through those crappy chores around the house. We're there for you. Where are you for us? Where are you? Where are you? Because we need you, man. We need you. We pour a hell of a lot into this, and we need you. I'll tell you who we, uh, we've got already. We've got the Wrecking Crew. Peter J, Mikey W, Brandon Spigielski, Randall Schmidt, George Bingham, Zach Thomas, Bastabier, Sam, and Bindi, top-tier top supporters, with us all the time, doing what the rest of you out there don't do. They're showing up every month, and they're making this show possible. Um, and in exchange, we give back on Patreon with um, amazing content for you guys every single month, multiple times a month. 
obscure Marvel that comes out every uh, first of every month, where we take a, a dive into uh, the most ridiculous aspects of the Marvel universe. There's an announcement about the next one coming up in the show. Don't go anywhere. You get early access. A week before this drops, you get it's three full days. No one else, I don't know any other podcast doing a three day early access, right? It normally comes out to the rest of the world, the general public, on a Monday. If you're on the Patreon at the right tier, you get early access on the Friday morning, three whole days before anybody else. And then, of course, the full length bonus episodes the bread and butter will. The bread. And indeed, the butter, not any margarine to be found. And uh, this month, we are dropping for you one of the most bombastic Wolverine stories ever told by Marvel. It is enemy of the state. Wolverine is captured and brainwashed and transformed into an agent of Hydra let loose on the rest of the world. This is the most cunning, dangerous, and deadly that Wolverine has ever been. He battles the Fantastic Four, the X-Men, the Avengers, and all of S.H.I.E.L.D. It is Wolverine versus the world as a terrifying new villain takes charge of Hydra, as written by Mark Miller, um, the man behind Civil War, the man behind Kick-Ass and things like that. You don't want to miss August on Patreon because we're doing big things, aren't we, Will? Oh, and huge, incredible things. Huge things. Um, very excited for that. That's there for the people that do the most, that support us, that understand that a project like this, a show like this, that you consume like you would a TV show, like you would a radio show by a major producer. You consume us like that. You have to treat us the same way. You have to recognize that we need a lovely big fat budget to keep us on the air, to keep us going, so that me and Will can justify the amount of time we spend on the show and the amount of things we need to do it. You guys have got to contribute. You've got to get on board, get involved, be part of the community, be part of the family. Head to patreon.com slash Marvel versus marvel we have laid the table will our patented deep dive coming your way on the other side of this break 